0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore Podcast. I am your host, Hobbs Q, and with me is Joe Rediman.
1: That's me. I'm here. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Oh, oh, good. I'm just, you know, chilling, thinking, musing on the nature of evil and all things in the world. I mean... You know, a typical Friday night.
0: Right. This leads nicely to the fact that, uh, to say, Alex won't be joining us tonight, (laughs) which is good, given that we're talking about evil and he's the least evil of us.
1: he is the purest of us all.
0: Right. Yeah. And the good news for you all is he's also not here to keep us from going just completely off the rails.
1: Whoop, whoop.
0: <laughs> so, so have a good night off, Alex. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> so, yeah. So Joe and I tonight, we're going to take a look at what does evil look like? Um, talk about kind of the nature of evil maybe the difference between what it means to be evil versus an antagonist and get into kind of how magic has played with our expectations over the years uh, when it comes to evil. So to start us off, we're going to start with who is our favorite villain in popular culture and what would their color identity be?
1: So my name is Joe Rediman. My favorite villain, I think, would probably be... Uh, I mean, he he's just kind of the classic you know dark force of of you know like a like sort of an immovable force of evil and that's darth vader um from star wars for those of you who don't know um and i'm fascinated by i maybe i worded this poorly by saying favorite villain but you know uh, i'm fascinated by darth vader because he's the character that we get to see the entire arc of throughout the first six movies of the star Wars trilogy, we see the descent into evil and uh, pain in the, uh, in the new trilogy, the prequel trilogy. And then we see what that um, sort of stewing in evil and stewing in one's feelings of betrayal and pain and hurt and all that stuff becomes and how truly cruel uh some somebody can become it's 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 a very shakespearean sort of dramatic arc for a character um and so i think as a character study i'm fascinated with darth vader i would say that uh his color identity uh and, and sort of including anakin skywalker who he was before the the conversion to the sith um i would say probably he's uh sort of black red um I would maybe put white in there as well because I think he has a very uh he's got a sense of loyalty to those who are close to him so I think there's a there's that black white dynamic of of you' you care about those that are close to you but you feel the betrayal of those that are close to you that strongly and he's a very passion driven and headstrong character too so I think maybe a red black white might be where I'd put him.
0: The reason that he was seen as kind of not even being able to go into the Jedi Academy at this older age was his emotions were too raw. So exactly. that's, that's a really good example. So one thing I struggled with when thinking of this question was this idea of favorite villain. Um, part of this is the, the rise of both the anti-hero and then also sympathetic villains, which I do think is going to tie in nicely here because I am going to choose a villain here who is my favorite and not with what people have tried to do with him recently and I think we're gonna come back to this so I'm just gonna throw out there that it is the joker as he is normally written in most comics and I actually have him as pretty close to mono red as possible um I'm gonna just stick him firmly there for now and we're gonna come back to that later on but it is the joker in most incarnations because of what he represents for Batman and just the relationship between the two of them and just the fact that he does kind of personify, in my opinion, evil, which is what we're going to talk about today. So I yeah. want to come back to him when we get more down in, but for now, my short answer is the Joker. Put a, put a pin in
1: that, yes.
0: So let's take this to the magic storyline first. Let's start kind of there because you you know when joe you pitched this idea you had had kind of some some characters that stood out to you um and so i'll let you just kind of take it from there
1: yeah so over the course i just sort of want to give a little background to this idea first and foremost is um <clears throat> over the course of magic history we've all kind of seen that um villains and antagonists and even some of the anti-heroes have all tended to be grouped in to, uh, the black slice of the color pie. You know, think about the, the biggest, baddest villains in magic history. The Phyrexians were originally solely mono black, mm-hmm. uh, Yawgmoth, mono black, Krovax, who also, you know, got and work for the Phyrexians, mono black, um, the Cabal black, uh, trying to think of who else the major players were in these storylines um i mean basically basically throughout the entirety of magic history we see the black character as either and 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 again we're saying capital b magic color pie black not black the race just to clarify but you see those those black color pie characters as the antagonist at, at the antagonist at very least You know, Geth on Mirrodin betrayed them, you know, even though he's part of the even though he's part of the journeying party for a while. So what we sort of talked about in one of our group chats is that there are a few atypical villains or antagonists in the stories that don't fall into this mono black color pie or even black aligned at all. Uh, and and so I think it's really interesting to look at why, at where and why wizards gave us these characters who are n- not that traditional villain, not that traditional antagonist, and what that can indicate for us. Um, so starting off, I guess, just I, I, I want to take the uh, sort of first example we got of this in, in Magic Stories, sort of the pinnacle example is konda the emperor of kamigawa uh, at least the emperor of ikanjo castle in kamigawa he was the leader of the white aligned faction of humans and kitsune um he was the one who opened up a portal to the spirit realm stole the dragon egg the um uh, child of okagachi the great dragon spirit uh, and began the great kami war on kamigawa and he's you know sort of the one who megalomaniacally which is a tough word to say uh you know denied any any responsibility for the war and let this go on for decades and all while people innocent people were being killed by kami innocent kami were being destroyed and and you know the whole world was getting torn asunder and the interesting thing about Conda is that he saw an opportunity to take power in order to hopefully protect his realm. So he had a very white goal, a very white aligned goal of, I am going to protect those close to me. And Eigenjoe Castle stood until the end of the war, uh, until, you know, it was dismantled uh, by, I think. I think it was the betrayal of... I mean, betrayal, quote-unquote, of Michiko Kanda, his his daughter, and when she merged with the spirit of the dragon... Kamigawa was a weird storyline, man. Uh, more than <laughs> I go through this. But when they merged together and became the Sisters of Flesh and Spirit, um, then Aikenjo fell and Kanda was defeated. Uh, but his goal specifically was, I need to protect these people, and if I see even the slightest chance of increasing the power that I have to defend my people, I'm going to take it. Which, in one sense, is a very noble goal, but when it endangers many other people, we then see sort of that dark side of what a mono-white identity can be, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this is... So, very early on in one one of the first Color Pie episodes we did, we talked about the fact that every color in the color pie at its extremes is going to be problematic. You know, that white has order and order to its extreme is fascism. I mean, it's really is kind of that the mono white ordered world would be kind of that far end would be fascism. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm actually going to challenge you for a second here on perhaps an earlier example of a villain slash antagonist who was not blacklined at all. Who was uh, prior to this? Interesting. And that is Memnark.
1: Oh yeah, no, that's a great example. Yeah, go into Memnark.
0: So, so Memnark is um, he? Memnark was on Mirrodin. Um, There was this whole thing. He basically is kind of the watcher of Meriden in the stead of Karn being there, if I remembering correctly. And he ends up wanting kind of he wants to keep the world a perfect world and. His flavor text is great, and imperfection in the perfect world, we can't allow that. It is the pursuit of knowledge, it's the pursuit of perfection, and it is the pursuit of blue. It's blue to the extreme of just perfect knowledge and kind of having that control in some ways. (laughs) Haha, like control magic. But I mean, (laughs) his ability literally is to turn things into an artifact that can then be taken, um, basically, to get rid of living stuff so that it could be made part of this perfect world where everything has that place to it. Um, Memnarch is, a, is an example, I think, of I, I'm trying to think back through. I was trying to come up with other ones. And I mean, now we're moving back even further. I'm now seeing this. This is another example of non black aligned, but I, you know, it's there haven't been a ton. Like, I'm struggling to think back further even than that.
1: This gets into fascism as well because Memnarch operates using the Panopticon and Blinkmoth Serum. So those of you that know the the card that's very well played in Modern Serum Visions, that is uh, part of. I mean serum blink moth serum essentially Memnarch would ring out the blink moths which were uh you know a, a literal firefly species on mirrodin and inject their their blood basically into himself so that he could have sort of these like uh precognitive visions and figure mm-hmm. out his, his basically his, his idea was i'm figuring out what's going to go wrong before it happens so that i can make sure it doesn't happen uh and he operated, he had this sort of panopticon, which essentially was like a control center and control hub that he could see the entirety of the world in. Uh, you know, think like your, you know, security monitoring office of an office building, but cameras literally everywhere. Any any living being that was metal could be his camera. Basically all the mirror, all the golems, et cetera. Um, so... Yes, he set out to do something that he thought would protect the world and keep it perfect, and went way too far. Um, uh, yeah, Memnark is a really good example too. I yeah, I don't know of any really that that go back further than that. We have sort of this um, shifting. I mean, that's sort of the time where magic storytelling changed a little bit, right around the Mirrodin block. Yep. and we started seeing more differed examples of this i think then once we get a little bit later into in a magic story is where we see the next one and that is uh i, I don't remember which of these comes first chronologically but uh, heliod is very similar to um conda in his goals as another mono white character heliod the sun god of theros um Again, trying to keep the peace, trying to stop uh, Xenagos's ascension to the pantheon of Theros, trying to stop uh, Perforos's usurpation of the throne of the the of Nyx in Theros, and um, Heliod sort of becomes paranoid and strikes down anybody who, you know, could possibly step out of line, uh, and so in doing so, kills uh, Elspeth his own champion who helped him secure his throne. Um, so Heliod is another example of, actually, I guess maybe a better example is close, closer to Memnarch in wanting that control, wanting that, like, no, all threats will be quelled.
0: Yep. I mean, and, and so uh, I actually linked, uh, we could put in the show notes, there actually is a pretty good for once Reddit post about the antagonist of each of the blocks, um, mm. which kind of shows that it's really funny You, if you look through the history of this in this Reddit thread, it basically like six blocks in a row is like Yagmoth, 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 Baron of Sangir, Chainer. It it really is. When we're talking like Weatherlight and we're talking even just the early days of Magic, that is what it was. I really do think Memnarch is where we start to see kind of a shift. Talk about Karavac a little bit. Um, I don't know. We didn't really have a Karavac card I don't believe in Mirage. We just had kind of like weapons now they are red that you know i generally think of Karavak at least being red aligned but um when we first get a finally get a Karavak card i believe it's red black yep um so the the next example is, is actually ravnica and momir vig mm. and why i think this is interesting momir vig uh, ravnica and then lorwin both there is an element so lorwin they actually kind of talk about una because Una manipulated the cycle of the great Aurora. But we also had this awkwardness of the elves on Lorwyn kind of being the, lack of a better word, species or racist part of green, where we may be able to see that with Momir Vig too.
1: They were, sorry to interject, but both Una and the elves on Lorwyn were black aligned too. They weren't totally black-aligned, but they right. were. Right. Okay,
0: I forgot the elves were. Okay, yes. so that means so mean it does. But, but Momir Vig is not. Momir Vig is green-blue. And it's this idea that it's to mutate every life-form on the plane. Like, it's that idea of almost like terraforming, basically, Ravnica. And that was kind of Momir Vig's goal. And yep. uh, we see that that kind of... We've talked about the guilds kind of ad nauseum. We have, there's so much space there. Grand Arbiter is the Azorius to its extreme, which is basically martial law establishing order. It's clearly in blue white. And I think why this becomes important is with these blocks, we are now seeing a move away from black being evil and magic. I mean, we started at the very beginning of the game with black being the, you know, it had to have art errated because it had pentagrams in the background of it. <laughs> you know, we had demonic tutor. It was about you know demonic consultation. We had deals with the devil, packs. Black really did feel that niche when the color pie color pie was in its infancy,
1: right? And now, as we go further and further into Magic history, uh, we are able to see that you know and and i think also creative has has developed and gone okay every color does have its own quirks but you can't just make one color the the evil one this is sort of the problem not not to go a not to go out of magic lore yet but this is kind of the problem with harry potter where uh so i think it was honest trailers put it exactly perfectly um you have you have, you know, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and then all the bullies are in one house. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. <laughs> well, it,
0: no, I mean, it, it, what's funny is I, I laugh that you use the word kind of quirk or like it's a little thing when, when it's, it is that each color in the color pie does have the capacity for evil. Yes.
1: And we will get into that again in a little second. But I do want to also, and we'll talk about this too. We'll put a pin <laughs> in him. We'll come back to him.
0: But, Should we always say that? We don't, think, don't people get mad when we always say we'll come back to that?
1: We will come back to it. <laughs> but we will. We promise. Our most recent story antagonist, and a little bit of spoilers for those of you who haven't read uh, The Wildered Quest by Kate Elliott yet. If but, so,
0: stop now. Turn off the pod. Go Forward. read
1: it. Go read it, Go come read it, back. come back.
0: Or just forward like five minutes because that's probably how long it's going to take Joe.
1: Yeah, give or take. Give or take. Maybe 15, just in case. Just in case. Uh, the antagonist for this set on Eldraine is Oko, the new planeswalker that we got, who's a fey. We're not exactly sure if he's a fairy, if he is a puka, exactly what he is yet. But he is some sort of fey, F-E-Y planeswalker and he's uh, uh the trickster antagonist and somewhat villain in this story but Oko is blue green and it's a very different goal that he has than momir vig uh Oko wants to usurp king he's I, I don't remember the quote i don't have it in front of me right now terribly unprepared producer but uh he says i want to usurp kings i want to bring the wealthy low that sort of thing so again he has maybe not the worst goals in mind but his way of going about that is all i'll say is it's not exactly the most wholesome or community oriented that's a nice way of putting it <laughs> he's he's a trickster yes I mean, that's, let's,
0: I mean, if we're looking at this from the fairy tale standpoint, he is kind of puck.
1: Yep. He's exactly that archetype.
0: And, and, and part of that is it's, it's puck, it's Loki. It's almost like sometimes it's just for the sake of doing it.
1: Right. It's, it's the Joker saying, uh, I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. I it. Yeah. I mean, that's,
0: yeah. So I mean, I think, and so we see now, so Oko is kind of new. We, we don't know fully what role he's going to play out yet. Um, but yes, he is kind of the usurper in this, and, and he is not black-aligned at all.
1: And so this kind of gets into the question, especially once we get to these characters like Momir Vig, who is megalomaniacal, does have uh, a puts into place a plan that would radically overhaul Ravnica and and maybe not for the better, we don't know. Nahiri uh, is another one that we didn't exactly talk about, but she is the antagonist of the Shadows over Innistrad block, um, and she is, you know, seeking vengeance. And so, this is again, not exactly the most evil thing necessarily, maybe? It's not your classic evil, but We don't you know, this is this gets us in this sort of big philosophical question of what is evil? What do we mean by evil? So I want to throw this over to you first, Hobbes is what give us your Wikipedia definition of evil.
0: My textbook definition of evil does kind of come back to this idea of the psychopath or the sociopath. So within psychology, the concept of kind of doesn't really care about the difference between wrong or right, cares about their needs at the expense of other people, Um, no real concern for others, uh, lack of empathy, or even ability to identify with other people. Um, That to me would be kind of where I get that definition of evil. That it is plans for the sake of the individual um there is no clear motivation there is an understanding of the difference between right or wrong so it is not that you don't know the difference between them you are aware of the difference between what is in right or wrong can be broad but just if we take something as simple as say murder which from an idea of you know an un unjustified murder, murder for the sake of just killing somebody, you would know that inherently that seems to be wrong to most people. I mean, this could get us into philosophy when we talk about natural law. But it is that idea that there are certain things that we just kind of understand are right or wrong. Um, the sociopath, the psychopath, and and those terms are terms that there isn't like a clear just definition for the diagnosis of that or, you know, it's not like a diagnosis that's made, but it is a concept. Um, uh, to me, that would be evil.
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. That's a really comprehensive idea uh, to start with. And I want I want to just add on to that. I think um, the thing that I identify as evil the most, that's the, sort of my two check boxes. Something that harms more than it helps and something that elevates the individual over the greater good. And now I and now I don't want to say that any act of self-care is, is is evil, but that's why I have the sense of okay, is it harming or helping? You know. So you have this am I, you know, am I doing something for myself or for the betterment of everything? okay, well, I'm doing, you know, say I'm not going to go to work today because I need a mental health day. So really, I'm not, you know, for me, like that would be I'm not delivering somebody's mail and and my coworkers are going to be more slammed. Okay, that's, that's an individual choice for me. Let's go to the second thing. Is it harming more than it's helping? No, it is not something that I'm doing selfishly or, you know, trying to uh, uh, hurt anybody. It is something that is meant to be helpful. And this comes down to um, that second one. I, I think this is the nuance is it's intent. Intent is a big, big thing for this.
0: Yeah, I was going to say intentionality is where I kind of would think about it. So um, if I'm out sick, maybe it means that I don't get to see somebody that day. Now, there's always things in place where somebody would be able to see them in a time of crisis. However, if they have a relationship with me, there's something they're working on. Yes, they may not have They may have a bad week. They may have things not go well, but my intent is not to harm them. My intent is not to try to get them to do something dangerous or to hurt themselves. Now, if it was, then we start talking about a very different kind of situation. I think when you break it down, if I wanted to just choose what my hallmark things are, um, it's intent and empathy. And actually I think there's a lot of evidence that empathy is the, there is a component of that.
1: I, and actually, now that you say that, that kind of does align with with my two check boxes too. Empathy, being you know, are you helping or are you doing this for others? Are you sort of communicating compassion, that sort of thing? And then intent, you know, yeah. is it to help or harm? That's that's yeah. actually that's interesting. So, and, and and again, this is this is our. I just want to, you know, again. Pull back to the thirty thousand foot view for everybody. This is our perspective. Everyone does have a very different definition, specific definition of what evil or good is, or what right or wrong is. But I, I am interested too. Uh, this will get very philosophical, and Alex will be disappointed he missed this conversation. Um, but uh, do I tend to believe, I guess, in sort of in some basic. Elements of a a universal good, a universal just. I think there are certain things that we know are right or wrong, and and like you said, unjustified killing is one of those that is wrong. You know, uh, helping, feeding somebody who is hungry is right. You know, those sort of things. I think evoke, a, a, you almost universally, those things evoke something. Uh, either positive or negative in people. Do you tend to find that in psychology? Is that something that you see or is that how how does that track at all?
0: I mean, I think that, you know, yes, I do think that there does tend to be something with universal law. I don't think it's something that we necessarily cover in psychology, but I remember from, so I, I I went to a Quaker elementary school, a Catholic (laughs) high school and a Jewish university, non-affiliated, but so. Um, I have studied kind of religion, cultures, philosophy, and uh, the universal law kind of came about out of religious uh, initially. And it was just this idea that like, well, obviously this is wrong because we don't need to to debate why it's wrong or come up with a rationale. Like it just, we know there's certain things that we know are wrong. Murder we know is wrong. Um, And then the weakness of that is there's always ways to kind of find around it. Or mm-hmm. there's always ways to talk around it, and it's. But I do think that at the end of the day, there is kind of a. It's almost the old pornography discussion of "I'll know it when I see it." Like there, there is an element to. You can have a pretty good idea of where somebody stands based on an action, certain actions.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I okay, that's good. I I just wanted to know if that was talked about that much in in the field, but yeah, I mean that's a big that's a big philosophical question. People have been thinking for thousands of years about is there is there true right and true wrong you know and i and i think it's a big thing because we see actions that do harm in the real world and we have to be constantly checking ourselves and checking other people and going like is that did you mean to do that like did you uh you know were you thinking about the consequences sometimes there's recklessness and that's not necessarily evil but it's sure it's harmful, so harmful. right yeah.
0: And I would think that what we're going to talk about is, you know, just because something I mean, I guess it's the flip side, just because something doesn't in the short term cause harm doesn't mean it wasn't necessarily evil and vice versa. Just because something wasn't evil doesn't mean that it didn't cause real harm.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's yeah, that's a good point, too, is when we talk about intent, uh, I I think, you know, when you get into an argument or or when you you know say something hurtful, especially or do something hurtful, um, very frequently the comeback is, and somebody says like that hurt my feelings or, you know, that was rude of you or whatever. Uh, very often the instinct is to go, well, I didn't mean it. Right. Right. We're not saying that that, that should be a get out of jail free card. We're just saying that, you know, when it comes to specific acts, you know, it's sort of like, as we're not necessarily going to say, we talk about these characters,
0: right. We're not going to say that you're evil in that situation. We are going to say that you may have unintentionally caused harm. So, and the reason I think this becomes important and maybe why we've seen kind of a shift away from the mono black kind of evil is I'm going to be honest, evil in even how you and I have already discussed it in some ways can get boring or it just people don't know how to do it well, like pure evil in some
1: ways. What do you mean by that?
0: So, I think that a big part of the rise of the anti-hero and the rise of these villains that have motives or they believe that they're acting in the best interest. So let's take somebody like Nicol Bolas, who does actually kind of have a reasoning or a rationale. Part of it is there's a belief that he's almost trying to save the multiverse. Now, part of that is a Thanos-like thing where he's just, you know, it's... It's more to do with like, well, I'm going to do this horrible action, but I'm really doing it in order to make things better and to make them a better place. That that has become a lot more commonplace in our society now to have those sorts of things other than just kind of a black or white definition of what is evil or what is horrible.
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I I think that's interesting too. Uh, sort of maybe one of the reasons that that happens more is that we see there aren't there aren't clear how do I want to say this there aren't nearly as clear villains in our day-to-day lives anymore as there used to be and I say that with full knowledge of of the fact that we do have the the blessing of hindsight to see some things in the past and say like okay well yes everyone should have seen this is obviously the go-to we were always going to go to this place when we're talking about great evil in the world everyone should have known that hitler was going to be the like one of the worst people in history uh, you know of all time one of the greatest humanitarian disasters one of the greatest human disasters ever to happen everyone should have seen that coming and uh, there's, we can get into some of the n- things about how the German people were brainwashed and and all this sort of stuff, but there aren't nearly as clear motives as that today. I don't think where we see even things like you know um, looking. I, I don't. I don't want to get super partisan political on this. I think everyone can kind of guess where our political beliefs line. But when you see things like in the, in in a certain party's debates lately that have happened, um, one of the candidates has some very outdated and somewhat offensive views and somewhat uh, you know, insensitive positions on a lot of things. And I wouldn't say that that's evil but it's extremely harmful and it's unreflective. And at a certain point, you have to start wondering, okay, you have enough people telling you that it's harmful, but you're not changing it. What's going on? Right. And, and I guess that there is,
0: this is the real world is because, you know, like you said, it, 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 we like to be able to look back on the past and clearly see things that were evil and horrible that happened in the real world. Like we, we, we want to do that. Um, and there are things that, that work, we are not going to be as good about catching those things in modern day. We are not in the moment. We are not going to be the best at, at seeing seen intentionality and understanding what somebody is doing. Um,
1: and especially when you take it down from the macro level that we were just talking about to a micro yep. level of your day to day, that's yep. even harder. Yeah, because it's you literally dealing with it, not even just reading it on the news. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's tough, but there is that growing reflection, I think, of the nuance in these characters. You know, of the okay, blue can be taken to a logical extreme. What does that look like? Red can be taken to a logical extreme. What does that look like? You know, those those characters, those color identities, do help us see some of these archetypes. And I think, I think putting that into the game and into the story does help us identify that a little more in in the behaviors of people around us i mean Mm -hmm. how do you do you agree with that
0: yes i think it is i mean i think it is showing nuance tends to make stories better
1: um oh for sure from a
0: storytelling point separate from the real world Nuance is more interesting. Nuance actually makes us care. It makes us understand why we should. There is room for not. There there is room for stuff other than nuance, but it has. Once again, it is not easy to do. Historically, what we got in media was black or white kind of villains. You know, there really isn't a lot of sympathy, even in the storyline for uh, Freddy Krueger. Let's just take this back to the '80s and look at that sort of a, a horror movie type thing. In a horror movie, the bad guy is bad, mm-hmm. and like in this case, the bad guy killed kids and everything else. I mean, we we, like, we know this. There's, you know, right,
1: there's no debating.
0: No, there is no. It's not like there's like a. Hmm. I wonder how horrible of a person he was. Like he's he's a horrible, horrible person. Um, and I think that that's a lot of these stories are moving away from that.
1: And it kind of comes down to, to, I think there's this, there's almost this um, societal or, or cultural pop cultural uh, development we're having as we get further and further along in history. And thankfully, you know, extremely thankfully more diverse voices are finally getting the stage and finally being mm-hmm. able to say, Hey, this is, you know, a thing that we need to be more aware of. This is a thing that we need to stop doing. You know, this is stuff that, you know, needs to be celebrated. But coming from all sorts of different perspectives of race, gender, sexuality, um, you know, creed, whatever, you know, all this stuff. Finally, we are having more input and we're being able to be sensitive, I think, to a lot more of this. And so that mono black villain or antagonist doesn't really work anymore. It doesn't really reflect our real life. And, and so, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's not as interesting of a story to us these days, but I also think too, that if we see, you know, an Oko and see, you know, not necessarily that social upheaval is a bad thing in, in the grand scheme of things, but in the context of things are going well on Eldraine, and then Oko decides, nah, screw that, like, Then we have a little bit of an issue, you know, we have to see, okay, is there, is there, you know, understanding of context and empathy, is there intent, and so then we look and say, okay, this shows us what these colors, what these kinds of thought patterns can lead to in a bad way as well. We then can, like, take that, I think, and identify that in ourselves, I think especially in ourselves, not just... This shouldn't ever be exactly a roadmap to dealing with other people. But I think especially for your own self, like looking at it and saying, am I doing a harmful thing? Am I doing something where I'm deliberately being vengeful? Oh, maybe I need to pull back on that. Mm -hmm. You know, am I taking my, for me, my red passion and am I using it to out-argue somebody? That's bad. That is probably the far bad end of the extreme for my color pie. I need to pull back on that.
0: Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that one of the things that stood out to me when we did, like I said, our our initial episode in the past was the idea that every color is capable of it. And I think that the the way the color pie has adjusted is it's to make people aware of that fact that every element of the color pie has elements to it that are not good or Mm -hmm. that are not going to be pro-social or not going to be kind of that. But And conversely, we're now seeing black having the other end of it we're having red not just be anger but be passion and we're getting more to it than just the extremes that we saw before with red being anger black being evil or you know black
1: being conniving yeah right
0: right and i think that wizards has actually done a nice job of starting to give us glimpses into what does a red hero look like what does a um what does a mono black hero or a black aligned hero look like
1: well yeah now i i want to i want to mention that on the red thing i was thinking about that today as i was i was preparing for this um how chandra has become the mono red hero you know member of the gatewatch central character all that She is, you know, the core of the new Netflix show that's coming up soon, the comics that are currently coming out, all that stuff. But she has a temper the size of Mount Vesuvius and will blow up on anybody whenever. And she is learning to control that and we're seeing that grow. And the more I thought about that today, I was like, Oh my gosh, I've never thought about how much I actually identify with Chandra. Like what? for me, for me being a very like passionate, excitable, but also short tempered and, uh, uh, irascible sometimes person. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> you know, it's really great to see in a story. Oh, this person can go from being a total mess up to like the hero.
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and, What is interesting, given that that's who Chandra has become for us, is we actually get to see now because of almost kind of, I don't want to say retconning, but bringing forth from the story stuff that was missing before. So for instance, taking back um, uh, whatchamacallit, um, bringing Jaya from the flavor text into the world. Jaya is a mentor. She is the mono red that is emotion And she has learned to use emotion. I mean, we talked a lot about this on our episode with Aaron Campbell. You know, Jaya in some ways is passion. Jaya is emotion. Jaya is that epitome of red. We just have now gotten it, even though Jaya has been in the storyline forever, we're just now getting Jaya that way.
1: Right. And And it's taking those things and focusing them. It's taking those qualities of whatever your... Identity is whatever your strengths are, whatever your weaknesses are and focusing on putting them towards the positive that really, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what differentiates and, and I, I mean that comes back to our identifiers intent. Are you trying to use your, your personality, your uh, strength and skills to positive end? Right. And great. That's that you are living the best of that color pie, right? And so maybe to wrap up here, I do want to drill back to on, on what you were saying about, we have had mono black heroes or, or, you know, black aligned heroes. And I mean, Toshi Umazawa was one of the first of those, even though we got Memnarch, uh, before we got Kanda as a non black villain, Toshiro Umazawa was our first mono black hero, right? I mean,
0: you say hero, I say tried to kill Nicol Bolas. <laughs> So I mean I guess this is one of those perspective uh, things. No, I mean yeah,
1: there is. Um, yeah. I thought we said that there was ultimate ultimate law and ultimate good. Tanshira... Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we said.
0: <laughs> but no, yeah, so we did. We had we had Omazawa, uh,
1: at least as a as a protagonist. And yes, and it, and it is interesting too to see. Um, you know, and this we didn't get into as much, but, you know, the difference between a villain and an antagonist is sort of that square versus rectangle debate. Not all rectangles are squares, all squares are rectangles. You know, Umezawa did save the day. He stopped, he helped be a major factor in stopping the Kami War. Uh, yep. And I would say, you know, really delayed a millennia of domination by a certain Dragon Planeswalker on Dominaria specifically um but you know that's just me well,
0: You you know that's neither here nor there let's just say it. <laughs> let's just say it. but yeah so we had that we also had um so we've had a couple of other aligned people that uh, i think wizards has used to play on expectations um because i think that why is where, whereas we may not this is a whole other episode idea um the idea of expectations because i do think that in the past wizards has been successful in playing on what our expectations are for something and i do think that there was a time when mono blue or mono white or mono red or mono black was expected to be a certain way and just like conda it plays on our expectations for mono white not being the villain we also get umazawa in the same block kind of being a protagonist it it was almost kind of like a planar chaos type thing that they gave us before planar chaos the idea that a
1: narrative planar chaos
0: yeah i mean it really was a narrative player Chaos. yes and i think
1: that wizards did that
0: there is an intentionality to that because it gives us expectations and i think that expectations for storylines in general is something that can be used effectively
1: Again, getting into protagonist versus hero. I don't think anyone would necessarily call uh, demonist and thought thief Davriel Kane a hero, necessarily, from the Brandon Sanderson novella um, Children of the Nameless. Davriel Kane helps figure out what is happening to the reaches this little town in Kessig that he's the sort of manor lord of and um, eliminates the corruption from inside um, the church of the nameless angel sort of thing go read the novella it's very good Um, but he's a mono black aligned planeswalker maybe blue black but at least the first card that we saw him solidly mono black and that is a big part of his character is being very vain, very self-absorbed, very uninterested in doing anything that isn't to his benefit. But that said, he did recognize that okay, well, my benefit does align with the greater good in this instance, so I'm not going to like go out of my way to be awful. I am going to go do this thing.
0: Yep. So, I think the um I don't know if this is your bonus one, but somebody that is stuck with me is Liliana. Was that the bonus, or was nope. that... Okay, because Liliana to me is... Liliana started as a healer, and what we know of her as a healer is that she was actually technically Black-aligned already in that role. You know, she already had the the alignment of... um, I mean, she was kind of a heretic healer, but she was a healer. That's what she was going to school for. She basically was a cleric, right? Um, where we've seen her in the storyline is this conflicted hero where we don't know exactly what is going on. we don't know is she gonna, you know is she gonna betray the gate watch? Is she working with the gate watch? Is she just in it for her own trying to get rid of her uh, what's the word I'm looking for? her um, demons in the packs? Is she evil? I mean, I don't know what is, is she because she knows she does use people in the storyline. She is a very difficult character.
1: Yeah, that's and that is when it, why we left her towards the almost end is, is it's hard to figure out if she is a hero. She's definitely not a hero in the traditional sense, that's for sure. I mean, maybe she is the closest we have to a true sort of anti-hero in the Punisher style, you know? Um, not, not in character matching, but right. in the sense of their... There are times where the greater good will align with my self-interest, and there are times where it won't, and you don't really know which one I'm going to pick in any moment.
0: And this brings us to the interesting point of where we are in a por- in a post-War of the Spark world. Yeah. Because where does Liliana go from here?
1: And that's sort of what we talked about, too, in the closing off Story Space episode with Nicol Bolas being... One of the last few true villain villains. Sorry, Hobbs. But one of the last big I'm bats. sorry, my mic cut out. Did you say the last hero? Maybe. Okay. But with, with that last sort of big bad of the old story arcs there, gone now, I should say, um, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to tell exactly what's going to happen. And Liliana, I think really emblematizes emblem, emblemizes, I'm going to make that a word. And she is emblematic of that. that, that, That's what
0: I was going to say is the word. (laughs) So as we are on our way out of the door, I said that I would circle back to the Joker. And I, I would like to circle back to the Joker for a reason. I said through most of this cast that there actually has been this idea of having characters be fleshed out to be more nuanced, to have motivation, in some ways to not just be pure evil. However, and I even said that that's what I tend to like, except for when it comes to the Joker, because that is the intentionality of Joker. My biggest fear and why I don't really have any desire to go see the Joker movie that is getting ready to come out is... The Joker is at his most fascinating when he does not have a backstory. He is normally dropped into the story. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what motivates him. We don't know anything kind of about him. He, in some ways, epitomizes evil in a chaotic way, which as a foil for Batman, so this is why I talk about it has to be done for still a reason, but knowing the Joker's motivation actually makes him less scary and less interesting of a villain i don't want to identify with him. this is that whole idea that we talk about with things like you're not supposed to identify with tyler durden in fight club all of the people who have seen this movie and are like yeah that's what i want that's what the point of the movie is chaos anarchy like the point of the movie actually is you're missing you're not really supposed to identify with that you should be doing these things um you shouldn't want to be Walter White making the meth. I mean, we see how the elements of his character come out over the course of that series that are were always there as part of his personality. A lot of people misidentify because it's interesting because you make a villain have motivation and have a reasoning behind it. You get people that I think that unfortunately, sometimes it's actually bad because it makes it where people um, identify with things in, in a dangerous way. The Joker is never really that issue. You know who the Joker is. You know that the Joker is evil. You know that the Joker doesn't have motivation. And that's kind of what makes him creepy because you, there's nothing for you as a hero to exploit. It's not like you can bring him back to the good side. There is no good side to bring him back to. So <laughs> that's my way of saying after all of this that I've said this episode, that is the example of when it can be done well and why I have no desire whatsoever to see this movie because there have been very limited times in comic books where they have attempted to give them a background and even then it tends to be conflicting and it tends to be you're not sure if it's true or not and that would be interesting but if we're establishing some sort of a if we were going to say that dc is going to do a unified world and this is going to be the joker i don't want a backstory
1: right right it's like you were saying when you give the audience something to empathize with but the person the character that you're empathizing with is a truly evil character that is dangerous that yeah. is that is a dangerous thing it's not it's not even the understanding someone psychologically because again i don't identify with Darth Vader it right. is I think he's a fascinating character study and I think you're the same way with the Joker. The Joker is a, an elemental force of evil in the Christopher Nolan Batman movie. I, and in most of the comic book versions. Right. I mean, just... He's, he's, not a, he's not a person. He is an elemental force, basically. Yeah. And that's what makes him interesting. Right. But once he becomes a person that others can identify with, copy, and emulate, that's scary.
0: Yeah, in a different way. In and a yes. different way, and and I will say that this is seeing the police force type people or people that are really for the militarization of our police forces, who are the officers driving around with Punisher stuff on the back of their car. Yes, they don't understand who Frank Castle or the Punisher is. Right, he would. N- I mean, he's doing this because the cops can't do their job. Yeah, and like have failed i mean he is not somebody that police should be emulating if we have a good police force if we have what we would expect to have as protecting the citizenry you do not those people should not be pumped up and getting their identification from frank castle it's a co opting of things because of because of one element of that character that you know he's a vigilante he does things that you shouldn't be able to do and it's without understanding his entire history and everything that goes
1: into him, and that's where we get into. And 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 this is maybe where I'll just where we should just wrap it up. But it's that's yeah. the taking the uh, the small slice of the color pie in the wrong way when you yes. don't when you don't build in the nuance and when you don't. Ah, this is so tough. There's no this good way discussion to wrap this is. Up.
0: I mean, the but I think actually. I think it's very appropriate that we don't have a nice neat way to wrap this up because this is not, this is, you know, Alex knew that he couldn't be here tonight and even kind of said, we're going to be coming back to this. Yeah, And and I think that he said that his voice and his viewpoint and some of the thoughts he had are going to be heard because this is a really, this is a concept that we've now talked around in and almost we, us ourselves have come on down on both sides throughout this episode in different ways. Because it is not an easy concept and it's not an easy thing to
1: and there's no blueprint. tie up neatly. There's no blueprint either. It, it, no. is, it is, you know, it when you see it. Because yes, giving nuance to an elemental force of evil like the Joker is bad. But then not having not, nuance yeah. to understand the Punisher is also
0: not good. Oh. Right. So, I mean, and, th- and this is what makes these characters and what makes this world fascinating And also why it's been fascinating to see, I think wizards do a better job with explicitly giving us the nuances within the color pie, bending it with not breaking it. Like we still need to have the color pie and it works. It does work for us. It's understanding that you still can do almost anything you want within a color, but there has to be, there has to be, yeah, there has to be a way to do it. That still is true to that color.
1: And I think it is good, too, that there, especially lately, has been a sort of a, um, you know, uh, a trusting that we are going to do the right thing with these characters. I, th- I yes. you know, I think once people read the L. Drain story, once they read the Wildered Quest, a few, well, no, 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 I'm not a, not a jab at you. <laughs> yes, once that was people... just
0: pointed directly at Alex and Hobb. <laughs>
1: No, once, once people in the greater public read The Wildered Quest, I think there's going to be a little less oko worship. That's our show. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter, or you can email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com goblinlorepod. Goblin Lore is hosted by Hobbs Q, who you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. The show is written and co-hosted by Alex Newman, who can be found on Twitter at mel chronicler. Engineering, editing, and production by Joe Rediman, who you can find on Twitter at lorthos. That's L-O-R-E, Thos. Rights to our opening and closing music are held by Vintergotten and Cobalt Music. Links to their website in our show notes. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter, at Stephen Raffle. Goblin Lore is sponsored by Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at hipstersofthecoast.com or at hipstersmtg on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.